Well, good morning, everyone. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3 this morning. We're making our way through this great letter from the Apostle Paul. And we find ourselves in chapter 3, verses 12 through 17 this morning. What we saw last week is our old self is now dead. And the new self is now alive in Christ. And one of the the gifts of that new self is a new way to live together. And that's our subject today. That's what Paul goes into today. So let's read it together now. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is God's word. In his book, The Church Before the Watching World, Francis Schaeffer said this, One cannot explain the explosive dynamite of the early church apart from the fact that they practiced two things simultaneously, orthodoxy of doctrine and orthodoxy of community in the midst of the visible church, a community which the world could see. By the grace of God, therefore, the church must be known simultaneously for its purity of doctrine and the reality of its community. In Colossians 3, we see the the gospel culture that gospel doctrine creates. Gospel doctrine is what we believe. It's what Paul has been talking about up to this point. It's the gospel, the message of God's grace For the undeserving. Gospel culture is the lived experience that that doctrine creates. As Ray Ortland says, gospel doctrine creates a gospel culture. The message of grace creates a culture of grace. When a church has gospel doctrine plus gospel culture, that church is a powerful force in this world. The true test of a gospel-centered church is the doctrine it says it believes plus the culture it actually, real-time, moment-by-moment experiences together. Now, a wonderful thing about God is that what He asks of us, He also gives us the power to do. That's true all the time. Not just when we come to a passage like this, it's prescriptive in nature. 
whenever we go to the Bible, whatever passage it is, we should approach it the same way. We come under terms of grace from our gracious God. God's call is high, and His grace matches that call. God can create a gospel culture in any church that will simply open themselves to His amazing grace and just live inside of that. And in our passage today, Paul exhorts us to to put on the, the new clothes of the gospel, to live out a gospel culture. And it all starts with where we find our identity. Because we are in Christ, we have His characteristics. This isn't something that we achieve. It's it's something that God gives. Because we are new people, we have new clothes to wear, which display our new nature and lead to a new community. So we can break down the passage into those three simple points. Our new identity, our new nature, and our new community. First, our new identity. In verse 5, which we saw last week, Paul commanded us to put to death what is earthly in us. And in verse 12, he commands us to put on something new. The, The grimy clothes of sin can be exchanged for the glorious clothes of the gospel. God has has done something transformational in us. We have a new self. And this new self supersedes all other selves. We are Christians now. So Paul says in verse 12, put on them. Now, Now what he says next matters so much. Everything actually flows from it. If we don't let the truth of these next, I think it's seven words, just settle deep in our hearts, we will never be able to live out the rest of the passage. Put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Here's the miracle of Christianity for all who believe. Chosen. Holy. Beloved, we are chosen, holy, and beloved because of the cross of Christ. Jesus paid for our sins, and he gives us his righteousness in return. He reconciled us to God on the cross, and he didn't do that for a nameless bunch of people. He did that for you. If you believe. Why did he do that? Because you're his chosen ones. And because you are his chosen, he made you holy. And because you are chosen, you are his beloved. Now you didn't deserve that. I didn't deserve that. We deserved God's wrath. That's what Our sin has earned us. But in His grace and in His mercy, God chose us to be His, not just today and not just tomorrow, but forever. 
He did all that was necessary to save us from the domain of darkness and to transfer us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Paul told us about that in Colossians chapter 1. No matter what else you are, and we are a lot of things, aren't we? No matter what else you are, a parent, a businessman, an American, whatever, you are first and foremost a Christian, a chosen one. (laughs) That ought to lift us up. That, that's dignity that we do not deserve of our own accord. This is so massively important to the rest of the passage. It's really exhibit A that gospel doctrine creates a gospel culture. When we find ourselves wonderfully inside the love of God, only then can we truly live out his call on our lives. When we see who we are to God, only then will we be able to live as he desires. When we understand that we are his, by his sovereign choice, we can actually start to live freely among one another. The the, the chains kind of fall off. We're unburdened by so many things that we carry. When we understand what Paul is talking about here. When the gospel seeps down deep inside of us, it changes how we are with one another. And we have to see the grace of this doctrine. We have to understand this isn't because we knew the right people or we paid the right number of dues or set dues. It's not even that we earned our spot on the team. We're here inside that sacred circle with Jesus because he chose us and brought us inside. You know, so much goes wrong when we, we put the burden upon ourselves to earn our spot, doesn't it? So much goes wrong when we are trying to fight up the hill of holiness in our own strength. But when we see that we are made holy in Christ, the weight of the world just kind of slides off of our shoulders. So much goes wrong when we constantly pine to be loved deep down and we just never know if we truly are. But when we see that we are loved fully by God in Christ, we find a peace that nothing else can give. Being loved changes us more than anything else, doesn't it? It gives us a power to live as God asks us to live more than anything else. So Paul says on the front end of all of this that we are loved by God, by His choice. He loves us. And we're not coercing God to love us. We're not twisting his arm. He loves us because he loves us. If God loved us because of something that he saw that was lovable in us, I don't honestly know how we would ever have any peace. 
How could we? I mean, we might change. We might disappoint him. He might get sick of us at some point. And like we've experienced so many times with human love, he might decide to unlove us. But that's not how the God of the Bible loves. Nothing in us compelled God to love us. And all that God asks us to do is receive his love. God loves us despite our sins. God loves us despite our failures. God loves us because he loves us. And all God is asking us to do is just accept that love on terms of grace. That he achieved the final, full salvation of his people on the cross of Christ. We just have to accept this with the empty hands of faith. And then all the holiness that we, and, and all the love that we desire most earnestly, deep down in our hearts, it's ours. It's ours for the taking by the grace of Christ in the Spirit of God. Because of the cross of Christ. So the motivation for the rest of what Paul wants to say to us is grounded in the simple truth of the gospel. All in Christ are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Try as we may, we will never live out the rest of this passage if we don't ground it all in the doctrine of God's love for us. And conversely, when this doctrine settles deep in our hearts and keeps settling in our hearts moment by moment because we need constant reminders of this. The rest of the passage almost comes naturally. It's not easy, but it's not impossible. After all, we are new creations in Christ. God's only asking us to be who we already are in Him. It all starts with who you are. Who you are determines what you do. A dog barks because it's a dog. If you are a Christian, you can live as God calls because your identity is a miracle already. The hard part's done. Jesus died to make you holy. The call of all that comes next may sound impossible to you. But he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We're new people now. We're Christians. We're the chosen, the holy, the beloved. And this new identity leads to our new nature. So let's look at what that is now. We, we see the, the, the new nature beginning in verse 12. And it, we see it includes a certain set of attributes, doesn't it? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Verse 13 tells us to bear with and forgive one another. Verse 14 tells us to put on love. Verse 15 and 16 call us to be thankful in all that we do. Now, 
one thing I can't help but notice is that this is all in the context of community. The beauty of the gospel becomes visible in this world in part through the beauty of our relationships with one another. One way we know Jesus is real and living is through the culture of life that he creates in his churches. Paul is here paralleling the negative attributes listed in verses 5 and 8 that we saw last week. Our old nature was filled with sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. The new clothes are the antithesis of those old clothes, bearing witness to what only God can do among his people. He can take people like that and make them into people like this? Who is that God? Now, here's another amazing thing about that new nature. All of these virtues that Paul lists here, they're all associated with Jesus himself. When we put on these new clothes, we are putting on Christ. Paul calls us elsewhere to do that. Put on Christ. Jesus is not only all these wonderful things for us, He also makes all these wonderful things a reality in us and among us. So let's just look at each one. What's Paul talking about here? Compassionate hearts. Compassionate hearts make us deeply sensitive to the needs and sorrows of others. No apathy. No aloofness. Literally translated, it means the bowels of mercy. 1 John 3, 17 says, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? That's the logic of the new nature. We cannot see someone in need and not feel deeply moved as Jesus does. Remember when the leper came to Jesus, opening pages of Mark's gospel? The leper said, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. Now, we may not be able to heal with a touch like Jesus. But he's asking that we care with that same kind of compassion. The compassion that takes us close to the weak and to the needy. Kindness makes us Christ-like toward others, loving them as we love ourselves. We are good to one another as Jesus is good to us. Think about Jesus. He's so kind, isn't he? I mean, just see him in the Gospels. What does he do? He bends down to the children and welcomes them. No one wants them around, but Jesus does. He makes room for the outsiders and the outcasts. He goes to the well to talk to the woman that no one else wants to even be seen with. He extends kindness. And that can be an exhausting way to live, can't it? But when we wonder if we can go on, we have the kind Jesus who calls to us and says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
We have a kind Savior who creates and sustains kind people. What about humility? Humility is it's the beauty of self-forgetfulness. Where we consider others more important than ourselves. That is not a worldly attribute, is it? <laughs> Humility is the low place Jesus took when, as Paul says in Philippians, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We don't have to be impressive. God already loves us. We can stoop low like Jesus did. Meekness means that we, we stop jockeying for position among one another. We're not impressed by our own self-importance any longer. And the word meekness could be translated as gentle. Jesus is, he is the most magnificent, glorious radiant person in all the universe, and he always will be. Yet he is in the one place, the one place in the Bible where he actually described his own heart to us. What did he say? He said he was gentle and lowly. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench. In a world of harshness, we are to be meek and gentle like Jesus. Patience means we bear with one another. It means that we don't, we don't pressure one another to change quickly, but we give each other time and safety under the gospel to let Jesus change us from one degree of glory to another in his timing, not in ours. Jesus was patient with his disciples, wasn't he? I mean, again and again, we just see that they just don't get it. But he knew they would. He knew they would when he was lifted up on the cross. He knew they would when he was resurrected on the third day. Gospel truth compels us to be patient and to let God do his work. And where would you be without the patience of God? I know some people are difficult to live with. They, they, they grate on our nerves. They're annoying to us. And sometimes we just wish they'd go away. We don't click with everyone, do we? But Jesus can click with any personality type. And for his sake, he calls us to bear with one another. Like a, like a tapestry made of many parts, the beauty of the gospel is seen in the varied people that God unites into one. Our new nature gives us the power to forgive. The forgiveness he lavishes on us flows out to others, or at least it should. As Jesus said in the parable of the unforgiving servant, we are not to hold other sin against them, but to forgive them freely and fully. Why? Because that's how we've been forgiven. God is not holding your sin over your head any longer. It's all paid for on the cross of Christ. 
Jesus' forgiveness is not only our example, but it's, it's also our power. We must return to his forgiveness to find the way to forgive others. I was recently reminded of this power. Uh, last, not last week, the week before, my family and I, we had to go up to Pennsylvania for a wedding, so we made a stop in Washington, D.C., and there's just so many things to see there. You know, we saw, we were there three days, you can see like this much. One of the things we did do is we went to the Holocaust Museum up there. If you ever go, you should put that on your list. It's amazing. It's so sobering. It's unreal that that level of evil could exist. But it did. And we saw there the horror of Hitler's Nazis in the 1930s and 40s. And it made me remember a story that I heard Corrie ten Boom tell. Uh, She was, with her family, sent to a concentration camp for hiding Jews in her home. Her father was killed in a camp. Her sister Betsy was also killed, but she survived. And one day after the war was over, she spoke on forgiveness at a church. And after the, 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 the talk, one of the, one of the guards from the concentration camp came forward to greet her. Here's what she said about that day. I was at a church service in Munich that I saw him the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there, the room full of mocking men, the heaping of clothes, Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, he said. To think that, as you say, he has washed away my sins. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who preached so often to the people of the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. As Christ had died for this man, was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed the silent prayer, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, He gives, along with the command, the love itself. That's the new nature of the gospel. And perhaps nothing shows it as powerfully as forgiveness. But then there's love. 
Love is what binds all of this together. Without love, it's just clanging symbols. It's just a bunch of noise. Forgiveness might be the most shocking of the new nature, but love is the key that drives it all. It's the thing that opens the door. It's the outer garment that holds it all together. In every interaction, love is to set the tone. Love is to lead. It was love that compelled God to send His Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Not just loved or so loved the world. Only when love is real will unity be real. And that's Paul's aim in this letter, to unite those in Christ together. As Jesus said, they will know us by our love. Love from God flows into God's beloved people. And love from the beloved flows out to others. That's how this works. It's, it's this river of love sweeping others up into its flow as it goes. And finally, our new nature makes us thankful in everything that we do. If that isn't a rebuke, I don't know what is. We are a groaning people, aren't we? We've always been that way. Israel groaned. So do we. But you know, Jesus was a perfect model of thanksgiving, of gratitude. He thanked his Father for everything, constantly. He accepted with thanksgiving every good thing and every hard thing. And he only asks us to do the same. And shouldn't we? I mean, let's just think it through. If the gospel is true, all we want most deeply is ours in Christ and will be forever. Christ has saved us. It is finished. Jesus has reversed our fortunes. He's restored what we have lost. He has paid for our sins. He has promised us life abundant. He is coming again to restore this broken world. He is going to make everything sad come untrue. He is our Lord and our Savior. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will care for us in all our needs and sorrows. He will go before us in all of our trials. He will stand with us when no one else will. He will be for us even though the whole world is against us. He will be all we need anyone to be for us and far more. The new nature is kind of like, it's, it's kind of like stepping into Whoville. The Grinch can take whatever he wants, but he can't take our joy. He can't take our gratitude. He cannot take our song. That's the new nature our new identity creates. Now, the new community that flows from it all. Our new identity and our new nature create this wonderful new community. Gospel doctrine creates a gospel culture. 
All that Paul has said applies to each one of us individually. But when individuals like that gather, God creates among them a radiant community centered on his gospel and sustained by his love. And God calls that a church. Your little church life isn't so little. The the key verse is verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Our future as a church hinges on that. Doing that or not doing that. Our way forward in beauty and unity and radiance in the gospel is by letting the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. The Greek word for rule refers to umpire. It's postseason baseball time. For Michael and I, it's the most wonderful time of the year. The rest of you don't care at all. What do umpires do? They render a verdict in situations, don't they? They call balls and strikes. They call safe or out. They interpret the rules and apply them. Now, in Major League Baseball, it's the official rule book. That's the decisive factor. What is it in the church? The peace of Christ. When the peace of Christ rules in a church, that church shines bright for all the world to see. I mean, how, have you noticed how unpeaceful the world is? <laughs> I mean, you can't open social media without witnessing at least one fight. Try it today. I dare you to look for more than two minutes without seeing someone else yelling at someone. How many office meetings tomorrow morning will be filled with tension? How many ex-co-workers and ex-friends and ex-whatevers in the world will be created just in this next week? But inside the church, we let the peace of Christ rule. We find a way forward even when the light ahead is dim. We have been united by Christ, and his kingdom is a kingdom of peace. He is a ruler of peace. Whatever our disagreements may be, however suspicious we may be of other people, we are to deal with it all in terms of the peace that Christ has made. He has reconciled us to God. Can he not bring peace among us together here? We do not have a dead Savior. In our disputes, he is living and active. Verse 16 helps us see one way the peace of Christ can rule in our hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ means essentially the gospel. That's what Paul is getting at here. Now, the Bible is front and center. It's where we see the gospel in black and white. It's on the authority of the Bible that we teach and admonish one another, as Paul tells us to do. But notice what else Paul mentions. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Then, to expand it even further, he says in verse 17, And whatever you do, whatever, Whatever you do, (laughs) 
In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, Paul is presenting a community in which the message of the gospel of Christ is preeminent. Where Christ is all in all. In the church's individual lives and in the church's corporate life. The gospel must go deep in us and wide among us. When the gospel goes deep and wide, God creates a radiant community that proves the gospel is true. Now, the gospel is true whether we act like it or not. We don't make the gospel true. God does. But we can bear witness to it. We can say to the watching world, here's what Jesus can do. The church is where the gospel is is field-tested for real life. The church is the model house and the new neighborhood that God is building in this world. We have a message of grace that frees captives from sin and death. We have a Savior who loves and cares and saves the undeserving. The center of the church must be Jesus and Jesus alone, and we must never leave him nor stray from his message. When we put on the new clothes of Jesus, we become in God's gracious hands the kind of community that actually everyone in this world longs to experience. We're imperfect, yes. But if Jesus is the center, he can take even our imperfections and make it something beautiful. We become a community, a place where where the watching world can be loved and forgiven and find freedom and peace and safety. Where else can you find that? Here's how we get there. We look to Jesus alone. And we never stop looking. We marvel at the glory of God in the gospel. We let him define us. And we stop defining ourselves. Isn't that so exhausting? I don't even know who I am. Not really. Why not let my creator decide who I am? We let Jesus be the center and stop putting ourselves there in that sacred space where he alone belongs. We live a life of faith moment by moment, letting the peace of Christ rule and letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And we become in his merciful hands a thoroughly thankful community that looks like an outpost of heaven on earth. Now, it's not easy, but it is possible because we are not who we once were. We're new creations in Christ, empowered by his spirit to live as he calls us to live. In all our needs, Jesus is there. In all our failures, Jesus is our success, the only success we need. 
All we have to do is humbly submit to his way of life. And then we will see what only God can do. And it will be radiant. And it will say to this world, Jesus is beautiful. Come and see. And we will be happy beyond our wildest dreams. It won't be easy. I mean, living for Jesus never is. It means we're going to have to confront some things in ourselves. It means we're going to have to really deal with things. We're going to have to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Might mean we don't get our way. His way seems pretty good. And really, do we even get a choice? (laughs) Is he not Lord of all? Can we just let him be Lord of all and see what God can do? We could not ask for a more glorious community. And that's what God is granting. And Paul is just calling that out. He's just reminding us that's what the church is. All we have to do is accept it and live into it by his power, for his glory, and to our great joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you that who the church is, is glorious in you. Lord, we ask even in in our own church that we would never take the focus off of you. We would never get bored with you. We would never think we have outgrown the gospel. That we would stare at the glory of God until we see it. And that we would just open ourselves to be changed by you from one degree of glory to another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.